Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Here we go. Here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, this is it. This is Top Flight Time Machine, I am Andy Hotbody Dawson, pow, pow, pow. I'm Sam Nifty Delaney, so what? Uh, welcome along to the Monday morning episode. Um, just before we started recording this, Sam, I've just been looking uh, at more synopses of episodes of The Littlest Hobo, following on from what we were talking about on Friday. Mm. And then I looked a bit further, uh, I dived a bit deeper, and YouTube is full of entire episodes of The Littlest Hobo. And that feels to me as though it could be a Melchester-esque undertaking for us. Rather than just going through those synopses like we did the other day, I think we need to go through the entire series. I'm seeing T-shirts. They're only about 23 minutes long each episode. Right. Which is good. Because I thought they were like an hour or something. No. They're they're very digestible, I reckon. Um, So you said T-shirts... Yeah, and also, like, if this does turn into one of our odysseys, mm-hmm. just trying to think if the Littlest Obo himself took on a, let's say, comic persona, oh, what would God. his voice be like? <laughs> I don't know. We'll we'll find out. But it, it's impossible to oh, tell. After all, we're both well known for our, our fucking wide variety. We're like Mike Yarwood. Yeah. Yeah. The amount of different voices and comedy stylings that we're capable of. Who knows? I just don't I know mean, what this dog will to, sound like. You've, you've just got to let the spirit of the animal flow through you and just see what comes out of your mouth, <laughs> haven't it. you? Like I say in Pocahontas, <laughs> I think that's the name of the... Um, I, I think that the uh, I think in Pocahontas, that's the name of one of the songs, isn't it? Let the spirit of the animal flow through you. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um yeah, so Littlest Hobo, more to follow at some point, I reckon. Maybe for a few years, who knows? Mm. Um, we, we, we've we had a, an email from a Dutchman. No. Um, yeah, talking about fireworks, because we were um, talking about how jaded we are with fireworks the other day. <laughs> and he, he Just says, one of the many you're... things we're jaded by. Yeah, he says, if you're bored, it's called Robert Van Dyck. And he says, if you're bored with fireworks, you've never experienced the terrifying truth of fireworks. Being a human first and a Dutch cunt second, <laughs> let me... Very let candid me, of him. Let me introduce you to New Year's in the Netherlands. Everyone, everyone is free to set off their own fireworks from midnight on New Year's Eve. Holland. Imagine the bells. To me, Holland, hug- the Netherlands is a place of total anarchy. It's lawless, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And he says, imagine the bells, you hug your loved ones, etc. Then you step outside and see a fireworks display being set off in your street, right in front of you. And two streets down, another display, and in the other direction too. Every other street has massive fireworks going up, everywhere. Total immersive display. He says, but wait, 
Imagine your neighbours. Now think of them all setting off fireworks, half-pissed right outside your home. Yeah. The teenagers are throwing fireworks under cars. Your pets are having a heart attack. The display is not only everywhere. It doesn't stop after 20 minutes or an hour or two. You try to remember how your fire extinguisher works. When you go to visit some family or friends, you wish to wish them well. You are dodging explosives like Sarajevo in the 90s. <laughs> Kids are blowing up any letterbox or bin that hasn't been sealed. After the first half hour... The streets are foggy with smoke from the explosions. Uh, he says, border fireworks, you sweet, innocent men. <laughs> <laughs> we hell. are sweet, innocent men. In fact, you should put yeah. that on our Twitter bio. Yeah, I will do. Mm. But, um, I mean, it, it sounds horrendous, I'll be honest. Fireworks are explosives. This notion that any cunt can go down a supermarket and buy some actual explosives and then do with them whatever they want is insane, I think. I in mean, this day and yeah. age. and I'm sure they'll tell you the same at the uh, A&E. They'll say, look, mm. it's fucking mad. We're under enough pressure as it is. And I, I think that, I mean, I don't want to get into another health and safety rant, right? <laughs> but, but, and you know, it would be easy for this podcast to be exclusively about health and safety. But not in the way oh, you think, because yeah. most fucking white middle-aged men with shaved heads like us would probably bore <laughs> you with their oh, health and safety's gone mad. No. Red yeah, tape. It's the other way around. There's not enough health and fucking safety, right? Yeah. Health and safety was there well, for lump- a reason. It was to stop people fucking dying, yeah? And the NHS, well, A&E, if you've ever been in an A&E on a fucking... Friday or Saturday night in a big city, and unfortunately I have on numerous occasions, right, it is fucking bedlam at the best of times. So why, once a year, do they just make these fucking explosives readily available to every cunt? Yeah. And they just, like, double the amount of fucking pressure there is on the A&E ward. And then there'll be, like, some old person who's had a heart attack or there'll be a kid who's fucking having an asthma attack or some shit like that. And it's all being yeah. slowed down for them because your fucking teenagers got pissed up and fucking tried to let a firework off out of their bum hole. Somebody I know had cause to be at A&E last week and it was just Tuesday afternoon. They're fine now. It's all right. But it was just Tuesday afternoon and they said it was like the third world. There was people sitting on staircases, people lying on the floor, yeah. injured. They weren't letting people in unless they'd been pre-triaged on the phone mm. by 111. So you couldn't just turn up and say, uh, I've chopped my finger off. Mm. Sort us out. You had to ring up first and get permission to go to a e otherwise they wouldn't let you in. Fucking because hell. the NHS is absolutely fucked. Yeah, stretched. So, it's stretched, to so, say the least. You know. Mate, I mean, I've fucking... been in and out of there like a cunt when I was younger. First with the epilepsy, then with the, uh, yeah. you know, football violence. <laughs> And, and then <laughs> and then with the fucking drinking as well, right? Falling down the escalators at fucking Camden yeah. Town Station, smashing up my wrist. Um, yeah. So I do know the tricks of the trade, and I've said this before, but if you are in there and there's a big queue and you're worried that they're not going to see you, no matter what your injury, say it's either your head or your heart, or your, your head or your mm-hmm. chest that's fucked, um, or both. And you get far, you get fast tracked, and I that is out of order because mm-hmm. if it's something smaller, and there's someone more needy in front, of you don't do it. But I'm just saying, if you go, ah, oh, I've got fucking pains in my chest, I can't breathe properly, I got pain down my right side. They go, <clears> all right, you better come through now. 
And then the doc comes over and goes, right, so tell us about what's going on. I go, oh, chest's a bit better now. Anyway, look, I broke my wrist. Can you fix it, please? Mm. It's a little uh, well, I mean, yeah. life hack for Ayanina. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it, Christmas is coming. Christmas parties, fireworks on New on New Year's Eve and all that. People are just going to be fucking flooding A and E, so just fucking just be, be fucking careful. Anyway, thanks for the fireworks thing, um, Dutchman. It's, yeah, that, that, that's Holland, and sorry, we're not living in Holland. So, Dutchman, um, do you enjoy, remember when enjoy in, your the Keen, of hell, in the Keen Robert. book when uh, Clough only called Keen Irishman? Yes. <laughs> We're going to call him Dutchman. Dutchman. Yo, Dutchman. Thanks, Dutchman. Um, I mean, I was, I, talking about, I was talking about health and safety yesterday with my son because we were watching the F1, and I was talking about a documentary I'd seen about F1 in the 60s when uh, health and safety wasn't a thing and drivers regularly died in crashes. And like there was a, a, a driver called Jim Clark, who I think was probably the, the best in the world at the time, and he died on one, in Germany, I think, in a race that... that went round a track and then went through a forest for a bit and he just came off and crashed into a tree and died instantly. And I said, health and safety wasn't a thing in the 1960s. You know, when I was a kid, we used to sit in the back of the car, um, no seat belts. I used to stand on the, the bit between the two, uh, the, the footrest thing between the two seats and look out of the front as the car was driving along. Could quite easily have died if I'd gone through the window. Right. The the thing is, right, a lot of health and safety was brought in in the 90s by by uh, Tony Blair's government as a response to a fucking <laughs> spate, to a spate of fucking mad incidents that could have been avoided with just basic fucking uh, health and safety in, in our day-to-day lives. You know, you had the Marchioness, you had Bradford, you had King's Cross, right, Hillsborough. Um, I know, obviously, these things, particularly Hillsborough, uh, had other factors, but the, um, mm. you know, there was fucking all sorts of fucking shit going on. Um, yeah. There was there was the ferry disaster, wasn't there? Zay Brugger, right? There was so many things, and it was because there were basic health and safety things that were not in place. And mm-hmm. I've done this rant before, so I'm going to try and control myself. But end of the day, fucking. Red tape is is very often because it was all Cameron was very proud of the fact that he did what he, he said was a, a a bonfire of the red tape, right? And that sold back to fucking Sun Readers as it makes your day to day lives easier. No, it doesn't. It makes them more dangerous, and it's not being done for ordinary folk. It's being done for fucking building developers in the private sector who fund the Conservative Party to the tune of fucking hundreds of millions in return. For mm-hmm. red tape being cut, which just allows building firms to extend their fucking profit margins because it means they don't have to conform to all sorts of expensive things that are designed only to stop people from dying. Like the fucking poison cladding that they put up on Grenfell yeah. because there was no law to fucking stop them putting literal cyanide inside some cheap cladding that killed 72 people. So next time yeah. some fucking tedious idiotic moron goes to you ah fucking red tape gone mad isn't it all this health and safety you can fucking tell them that they're a silly cunt and that health and safety is just something that was designed to stop loads of people unnecessarily mm. dying well I, I, yeah I mean we're, we're free from the the, the 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 grip of the EU's red tape apparently but now we're getting shit pumped into every river yeah. around the clock 
Oh, yeah, it's thank right, God for it? that, eh? <clears throat> yeah. Right, there's an update Welcome on... The talk radio. <laughs> there's, a, there's an update on, um, on Bielsa and Lampard over the weekend. Have you seen it? No. Thank you to Aaron Dale, who's a cunter who... Um, contacted me on Instagram to let me know about this. Mm. Jody Morris, who is Frank Lampard's uh, chief lieutenant. Conciliary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, he uh, yeah, what's he called in, what's he, what's Robert Duvall's character called in The Godfather? Tom, I can't remember. Tom, yeah. Tom. Um, anyway, <laughs> he, he um, went on a podcast. Whose podcast was it? Some well, there's always a podcast. It was some some <laughs> podcast every weekend. He, he gave it. He gave a. <laughs> he gave a bit more detail on what actually went down. <laughs> right. Um, like he said, well, you know, it was weird because there was someone hanging around in the bushes at Derby's training ground. Obviously, yeah. that's hilarious, right? And uh, <laughs> then the old Bill turned up. And the old Bill said, look, there's been reports of someone hanging around in your bushes. Don't worry, we've caught them. And they're in a car, but the car was registered to Leeds United. So I really like the way that Bielsa was sort of hiding in plain sight because he sent his spy along, but they didn't do much to cover their tracks. It was like an official Leeds United car that he was in. So it was really, really funny. But anyway, when it all came out, Right, this this is the quote from, from Jody Morrison podcast. All of a sudden they've come back and they've arrested someone in the bushes. He's had he's had bolt cutters and everything. Anyway, we didn't <laughs> think too much of it, didn't you? I fucking would if there was some cunt in my bushes with bolt cutters. Right? Ah, it's just some geezer in the bushes with bolt cutters, Frank. I wouldn't worry about it, it's probably nothing. Right? Then later Frank rang me and went, mate. You're never going to believe this. You know that earlier in the training ground with the police car, they've taken the fella back to his car, they've opened it up, and it's registered to Leeds United. Is Leeds spying on us? Surely not. That's what Frank said. Uh, so anyway, he goes, but then later on in the evening, Morris said that Lampard got a phone call by the Leeds manager who took full responsibility for what had occurred. <laughs> he said, Frank answers the phone, and Bielsa said, everything that happened at the training ground, that was us. Leeds United, it was me and my staff. I take full responsibility. If you want to talk about it to the press, I have no problem. This is how I work where I come from. <laughs> no apology there. <laughs> he just called him up and told him, yeah, it was me. It was me. Guess who this is, cunt? <laughs> I mean, if you come to our live shows, we more or less fucking parodied that exact conversation, but we thought we were just being, we were fictionalising it. Turns out, fucking life imitating art, mate. Yes, yeah. I did just call our live shows art. Uh, Frank was like, yeah, hold on, you're spying on us in training? He doesn't do a lot of interviews in English, so you can imagine how the phone call went. He was trying to relay it in broken English to Frank, that, yeah, it was him. <laughs> 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 I'm holding a dossier right now. Got all your secrets in it. Uh, I, I got some nice pretty pictures of you in the shower as well. You're still keeping yourself in shape post-retirement. I like that. <laughs> You're still a stallion, okay, man. Well. At a press conference six days after Spy was spotted at Derby's training ground, Bielsa invited journalists so he could present in-depth analysis in the hope of showing his research was so thorough that he gained no advantage from watching Derby train. Oh, I see. Uh, this is funny, right? 
There are loads of press going. Did you see all the detail he goes into? He's just showing that they watch videos of the other team. Then quite a few things were pointed out, like some of the hours he was making out that he was watching some of these players. He was processing and going, I don't think there's enough hours in the day to watch that amount uh, that is being said. <laughs> At the same time, my personal view is if you're so good, and he is, he's a legend in the game, Beals has done an amazing job at Leeds. I was just thinking, do you need to do that? You get people who say they'll do everything to win, and I like that. But you can also go against that and say if you're confident in your players. To be honest, we spoke to security at Derby that happened, and it happened both times. Okay, this is the takeout for me, right? This is classic Lampard. Bielsa's got up and said, look, I'll show you how thorough my preparation is, right? And then you'll realise that the spying is neither here nor there because I'm so thorough. So he's presented it, right? Fucking Lampard has gone off and audited the claims that Bielsa has made. <laughs> well, I've looked into his claims and I've calculated, I've done a time and motion study and there simply aren't enough hours in the day for him to do as much research as he claims to be doing. His claim is spurious at best. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. Marvellous. Who does that? Frank Lampard. That is the most Lampard well, thing ever done by Frank Lampard. I tell you another Lampard thing I saw today. Right? Have you has a note ever been left on a car windscreen that is not full Lampard? Not that I know of. You no, need to know that the... if you've ever put a note on someone else's windscreen, then you need to. And mm. we've been very honest about this before. We've all got a bit of Lampard in us. We all have the capacity to Lampard. <clears throat> Who amongst us can honestly say we have never Lamparded? I have. Right? Um, of course, yeah. And so we've all got it in us, but you just have to be vigilant. It's like everything. It's not... A bit of Lampard, and we've said before, a bit of Lampard now and again is a good thing. Yeah. If it's done, if it's deployed correctly. If, yeah. you, if you tell yourself that you're so easy going laid back that you've never Lamparded, right? Then just ask yourself this. Have you ever left a note on someone else's screen? That's the question. If, Do you even care about anything? If you have, then you have done a Lampard before I thought it's because I was mm. out running this morning and I saw a note and it had been left on a windscreen and as an extra Lampard touch it had been put in a little plastic file sleeve you know the ones you put in oh, ring binders so it didn't get wet yeah. I'll put that there and I, I, I will, I will protect it because I've been down this road before someone will claim that it rained and so they couldn't read the message well we'll <laughs> see about that I'll rain protect, I protect it. it I'll protect it from the elements I'll laminate it in my laminator. <laughs> Did you go and have a look and see what it said? No, I I thought about saying that. I ran back. I ran past this car, glanced at it, thought some cunts left a note there, Lampard. And then I just kept sort of chuckling to myself and I was tempted to turn back round and have a read and yeah. take a photo or something. But I just moved on and thought, this is this is how I came to this conclusion. I sort of thought to myself... I need to know what it says. And then I thought, no, I don't. Because whatever it mm. says, it's a Lampard move. It doesn't matter what it says. Even if, if it's polite or grumpy or whatever, you've left a note on someone else's car, mate. Yeah. I'd have liked to have had a look just to see what the, the syntax was. And, you know, because there's different ways of Lampard. My, my, I, my mate been... came... You know how I've told you before that I used to live... My mum's house was in the, the the back alley that Island Records backed out onto. Oh, yeah. Right, and that's why the Whalers were playing football down our street football once. with the Whalers, yeah. Yeah. And uh, 
but my mate parked his motor there once when we were teenagers in their car park because um, he was just it was one of those ones where he was coming to to knock for me and he just sort of thought I'll just pull up here I'll only be a minute where I go and knock on the door but he was a bit longer and when he came back someone there were music industry types obviously working in Island Records mm-hmm. there were music industry people in the I suppose this was the early 90s so you did mm. see a few you saw the Whalers which was great but you also could see some right fucking twats going in and out there who were a bit pleased with themselves and one I mean, of them had left it, an abusive message on my yeah. mate's car windscreen really don't block your don't don't block your car like a cunt don't block our cars with your shitty car like a cunt or don't some, block island records yeah, we're, that's we're fucking Eric Clapton's fucking jag you blocked in there. And he had an appointment to get to. He was going to Pebble Mill Art 1 to promote his new record. <laughs> He's going to be He'll late now. It. It'll be more like Pebble Mill at 2. <laughs> that's in the West well, Midlands as well, Pebble Mill. So it's a good two-hour, 40-minute journey at the best of times. I'm just thinking about some of the people who were on Island Records who could have been hanging out. Well, there was Stiff Records fucking... as well there. But... Robert Palmer, yeah. he was on Island. Yeah. Grace Jones. Grace Jones was oh, on Island. Someone has blocked oh, my car hell. with their yeah. Volkswagen Polo. <laughs> I will flip it over. <laughs> so it it's not moved in the, the next pavement. five minutes, I'll fucking eat it. Fucking hell. Imagine Grace Jones and I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. Oh, that's got to happen, hasn't it? You too. Jesus Christ. You too could have been you there. You too. They were Ireland, I think, yeah. weren't they? Yeah, less interesting, though. What, like the edge? What would he do? Fuck all. Oh, there's someone exactly. blocking in my car here. What am I going to do? Oh, Fucking you don't want to it. get the edge angry. You don't yeah, want to when the edge get angry. You won't like it. Yeah, whatever, edge. When the, when the edge gets angry, his hat flies up off his head into and the spins air. spins around and makes a noise like this. <laughs> wee, 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 wee. And then everyone knows. That's your warning. <laughs> The things are about to get real. Um, anyway, my what mate, happens, uh, we were nothing, only about really. 17 or 18, and he fucking went bananas <clears throat> at this note. So he bam, 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 banged on the door of Island Records. Buzz, 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 buzz. And in Come the on, end, Island! It, Come out! It was like that. And like they probably had you know some sexy receptionist because it was a record label in the early 90s. Hello, Island Records. <laughs> <laughs> Some cunts left a fucking note on my fucking door on my window. They better fucking come down here now. Uh, <laughs> just hold one second. I'll just see if anyone can help you with that. And she goes, I'm sorry, I can't find it. But as if someone up there is going to go, oh, yeah, I'll go down and confront this fucking angry imbecile. <laughs> in, the, in the end, they sent down the um, a guy who's a big fucking brute, like, obviously security man, who describes himself as head of transport, right, at Island Records. And he was like one of those... After the car parking. He was calm, but quietly threatening. You know, oh, like, brilliant. very polite. Hello, mm. is there something I can help you with, young man? Don't fucking call me, young man. I want to see the cunt that left the note on that thing. Oh, dear, I agree with you. The language he has used is very unfortunate, but you may be able to understand why he was distressed. I don't know what much what, what more I can do for you here. Would you like to escalate this matter? And in the end, he had to walk away with his tail between his legs. It was a humiliation. 
a real humiliation. Well, what, and there was some what, sort of Ponzi record executive up sniggering in his office upstairs watching his hired fucking hand. Yeah. Fucking hired just goom. get get rid of that snivelling teenager. He's one of the children who yeah. live in this street. Yeah, that's what the big record companies can do. That's what they'll do. Don't want to fuck with them. Jalapeño. Here's a brief but annoying message to let you know that you wouldn't be hearing this brief but annoying message if you were a subscriber to our Iron Filing Society Patreon offering. For the price of a pint and a St. Clement's each month, you can get up to four episodes a week, nine months before the rest of the world gets them. Early access to regular episodes, lots of other marvellous benefits, and there's absolutely no adverts or brief but annoying messages like this that will get right on your ticks. Find out more and subscribe now at tftimemachine.com slash ironfilings. Jalapeño. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Jalapeño. Speaking of, um, I'm a celebrity though, are you, you going to watch it this year? Yeah, I, watch, usually I, watch I'm, it. I don't always watch it, but Richard Madeley's in it, so be, I will yes, be watching it. I was just going to say, I think it's going to be excellent value for two reasons. Richard Madeley and David Ginola. Yeah. I think... Well, I watched I it last they, night. Ginola was already superb. Yeah. Did Richard Madeley try to light the fire and then getting Ginola to do it because he couldn't get the fire lit? Ginola just excellent. walks in and he goes, let me dry. And he just did it I immediately. It. He, uh, David Ginola, <laughs> as we have long suspected, is in possession of su- supernatural powers. Yeah. Isn't he? But they don't, they, don't know, they don't know whether to call him David or David. They're flitting between mind. the two, all of them. You can call me what mind. you choose. It is not a problem yeah. for me. What are names anyway? <laughs> they are just labels that we use to pretend that any of us are separate individuals and not part of a human whole. You could call me Big D, like the peanut. I don't mind. <laughs> Tell me, <clears throat> Richard, yeah, it's gonna be, it's do gonna you be like good. peanuts? Yes, they are very tasty, are they not? Come here. I have smuggled some peanuts into the castle. <laughs> I smuggled the peanut you like one? down um, what do you call it, the little hole in my willy. <laughs> it fits six peanuts in a vertical line down there. I think, I think I've, I have heard it when I was at Newcastle, I was referred to as the Jap's eye, but I don't think that is politically I think correct nowadays anymore. that is problematic. What do you think of Naughty Boy? I'll tell you what I think of Naughty Boy. I think that I, I don't know anything about him, but every time right. Ant and Deck refer to him as Naughty Boy, it's going to make me piss myself laughing. Know. You know, like, they do. They know, all, they, they've the got pe- that brilliant knowing way, haven't they? Yeah. Like, they're not going to yeah. make a joke out of it, but you know that they're making yeah. a joke out of it. You know, it, it reminds me of Black Adder goes forth with Darling. Yeah. The ca- Captain Darling, every time Stephen Fry referred to him as Darling, it's just an instant, easy laugh. Naughty and it's going to be the same. Every time they're around the campfire or whatever, it's like, who who's going to be doing the next task? And they refer to him as Naughty Boy. I'm I just think gonna Naughty Boy's going to struggle. And the lad from Emmerdale was really badly struggling straight away for fuck all reasons. <laughs> the reason. lad from Emmerdale. I, mean, I didn't know who he was. I, I'm like, who's this? Oh, he's the he's the irre- irrepressible chirpy northerner yeah. to replace that one who was on last year. Yeah, but he's really not that one. irrepressible. 
because they he, he was voted for the first fucking thing and all it's going to be is eating things, which, let's be honest, is the fucking easiest thing you can do. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Of all the fucking challenges, better than having a fucking snake try and strangle you or something like that, isn't it? Yeah. Or like rats. Probably rats would be the worst one, wouldn't it? I would do every challenge on there because at the end of the day, they're not going to let you die, are they? Exactly. I'd just do everything. Uh, well, as I said to my daughter last night, right? I said to her, if I went on this... Mark my words, <clears throat> I would win easily. Because mm. one, mm-hmm. all the tasks, no fucking problem. Just switch off, mate, go to another place. And yeah. two, they they love, you know, I've got a cha- cheapy, cheeky chappy persona, which is very popular with the British public. Oh, yeah. People like Across che- the nation, cheeky they all love cheeky chappy. Don't know. Cheeky chirpy cockneys, yeah. yeah. The question is, though, Andy, could I maintain my cheeky chirpiness throughout the hell, especially when I got hungry and tired? Or would yeah. would my facade drop and I just become like a stroppy cunt? Oh, you do get hungry, don't you? I get hungry. Don't, don't I get feed confused. yourself properly. Yeah. Would 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 the um, the laminated instruction sheet from your good wife, would that be allowed in to the camp? I'd be so in the that fucking could, like, room look after you. where they go, Ma, please just... Can someone just speak to my wife? She'll explain everything. <laughs> no, I'm afraid you you signed no. a, a disclaimer when you came in here. You've been shut away. From there the is world. no contact yeah. whatsoever the outside world. <laughs> but you might die. <laughs> I'm she just knows my settings. With the she knows my factory settings. <laughs> so yeah, I'd like to say that. Um, um, yeah, I think it's going to be extremely good this year. Paul McCartney over the weekend. I watched quite a mm-hmm. lot of it. Got a couple of things that I want to discuss with you about Paul McCartney at the BBC. Okay. Matter mm-hmm. one. Paul McCartney's current band are mm-hmm. fascinating. I was unfamiliar mm-hmm. with them, but obviously there were so many clips of them um, with Paul yeah. McCartney and BBC, and they seem to have been with He's him for at least well, 10 years. He? Yeah. Now... Yeah. There's a big, angry drummer who's enormous, yes. and yes. he sings and he's very animated and he's <clears throat> and he's you know he obviously is a good drummer because you can't imagine McCartney working with any old cat. I'll just send anyone along. I don't mind. Just get someone <laughs> yeah, exactly. from the um, yeah. from the session musician. You, I don't care. Just send anyone as long as he's got his yes, own drumsticks. I'm not paying. I'm not paying for a set of drumsticks. Get that right. <laughs> uh, so there's him. But then, like, he's got he's got two guitarists because he plays his little violin-type bass, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. And one of them is Robin Asquith from the Confession series, <laughs> isn't he? Did you notice that? I didn't really watch much of it, but, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but they both look like men who are playing middle-aged rock stars. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, they're in, like, a pub band. So much, yeah. They, so, I yeah. mean, obviously, I'm assuming they must be incredible <laughs> musicians. Or joking aside, I mean, like, because everyone in the world wants to be in Paul McCartney's band. It was like I um, <clears throat> there was a there was a clip of an interview or transcription of an interview with him saying something like, "When I left the Beatles, I could have gone the easy route and just formed a supergroup. Like, I could have just picked <clears throat> up the phone." He said, "I could have had John Bonham, Jimmy Page, and Eric." as he calls him, right, all there. Yeah. And we'd have just cracked on and started playing stadiums. But instead, 
I formed wings because I wanted to build up from the bottom again. So I started playing small places. And I thought, yeah, of course he could form a fucking super group. He could do that today. He could do it any fucking time he wanted, couldn't he? He could just fucking say, right, yeah, here's what I up. want. Yeah. Here's what I want. I want El- even fucking Elton John. You could just go, right, El- Elton John's on the fucking piano and Phil Collins is on the drums. Because if you read their books, they're both just almost 100% obsessed with the Beatles. It's all they fucking care mm. about is the Beatles, right? I mean, George Harrison managed to get the Travelling Wilburys together, and he was yeah. only the Beatle number three. Well, I think Paul so, McCartney yeah. goes on saying that. He goes, look, George got the Travelling Wilburys together, but that's shit in comparison to what I could have done. <laughs> Fucking Roy Orbison and Bob Dylan. I just didn't do it. miserable cunts. Oh, but my one would have been good. Didn't want to. Couldn't be bothered. I could have had Nick really? Rhodes. I could have had fucking <laughs> Boy George the lot. Modern ones, not old ones like George got. Yeah, I could have had him from the fucking Arctic Monkeys. I could have had Dizzy Rascal doing the rapping. <laughs> uh, what was the other thing I wanted to say? Oh, the other thing I wanted to say was, you know that, like, we were talking recently about how, and I mean this very affectionately, Liverpool, but mm. how Liverpudlians think that everything that exists in the life of a human being or in society, they, very many Scousers think that it's exclusive to Liverpool. <laughs> yeah. So you don't think when they, they go... Because there, there, there was a tweet a while ago when somebody tweeted something like, um, does anyone else call going to the cinema, going to the pictures, or is it just yeah. a Liverpool thing? Is it just a Liverpool <laughs> thing? And we're doing that thing like, no, now. Grow, you know, like Paul McCartney, we're like, like grow, growing up in uh, Liverpool... Um, we used to have this thing that used to appear in the sky in the morning and it was like a huge ball of fire and it seemed to give everything the energy or life force that it required Pete. to grow and thrive. And uh, in Liverpool, we used to call it the sun. And uh, it was just a Liverpool thing. We used to go, hey, look. We used to go, hey, ma'am, look, the sun's out. And everyone used to laugh, you know. It was just one of those things we said. And then years later, me and George, we'd be sat Graceland with Elvis Presley saying, this is madness, look. They've got the sun outside. And Elvis would be like, hey, what are you talking about, the sun? I've never heard of such a thing as the summer form. We just laugh. Oh, it's just something that we say from where we're from back in Liverpool, you know. And I realised there's only there's two things. It was my nan, my scouse nan, because she used to do that all the time. Yeah. Oh, in Liverpool, we used to call that cake. We used to get sugar and flour and eggs and butter and we'd put it all in a bowl and mix it. And then we'd put it in the oven. And then when it came out 20 minutes later, we'd eat it and we'd call it cake. And you'd be like, yeah, Nan, I know. that They call it that in London and everywhere else in the English-speaking world as well. And also Paul McCartney, because every single Paul McCartney interview has that in it. And it's sweet in a way. I'm not... Yeah. I'm not even... It's just sort of nice. Paul McCartney has said, stayed so sort of spiritually connected to his home city. Yeah. That he almost sees everything that's ever happened to him through the prison well, well, of being from that, Liverpool. Because, well, yeah, but I know that that's not necessarily a Liverpool thing. That's a Paul McCartney. That's a Beatles thing. None of us could know what it was like to be in the Beatles apart from the Beatles. Yeah. And those four fellas had two eras of life, mm. pre-Beatles and post-Beatles. And the post-Beatles or, or the Beatles era is like nothing else you can imagine. It's just insanity mm. and nothing is normal. So you imagine why he keeps reaching back to that rootedness of his early life because that was the only time when shit was normal. So for the last 60 years, yeah, everything's been yeah, fucking Yeah, you're right, bonkers. actually. That must be why, yeah. That's absolutely right. That's exactly why he does it. 
It's the only thing he can, how he can connect with other humans. Yeah. Because everything he's lived through has just been fucking nuts. Yeah. I mean, people, some people are still quite cynical about Paul McCartney sometimes, but I just sort of think, fuck me, lads. The fact that he is, who knows how sane he is. He certainly comes across as pretty sane, I would say. It does, right? Um, But you can never know. But how wet, look. The lad has done incredible well. If you look at all of the fucking nutters, some of whom have just tasted one tiny fraction of the fame and success that Paul McCartney's had, and they've gone absolutely loopy, which I don't judge because <laughs> it is fucking hard, right? But Paul McCartney has come all this way, and he's <clears throat> like, you know, he is basically, as far as we know, he's never, he's never fallen into addiction. He lives a, I don't know. I mean, I, hmm. I don't know enough about his private life, obviously, but I think the fact that he's just lucid and not fucking yeah. dead of insanity <laughs> is is a fucking achievement. It's a massive bonus. You know, if yeah. you look at how how difficult coping with fame is, Paul McCartney is the most famous pop star ever, really, isn't he? I reckon so, yeah, completely. Um, the, the new Beatles thing is on Disney Plus this Thursday. Uh, really get exciting. back. It's three episodes. It's eight hours long in total. Oh, I didn't but know it, that. It, com- it comes out in three episodes and it comes out over three days. So it comes out Thursday, Friday, then Saturday. Mm. So you don't have to watch it all in one chunk, but eight hours in total. So that's that's my weekend taken care of. Oh, man, I've watched so, the trailers um, and the little tasters that Peter Jackson did earlier in the year many, many times already. Yeah. And I, I've just watched them over and wait. over again. And even my kids who, they don't, dislike the Beatles but they're a bit like they think that me and my good wife are a bit over the top about the beat a bit extra as mm-hmm. the kids say about the Beatles sometimes oh yeah yeah they do but don't e- they? even yeah. them like they'll watch clips of it and there's something about you could watch it without the sound on there's something about the charisma that those blokes exuded that even yeah. kids who aren't that into them will watch it and find it very compelling in a way that they can't quite describe because there was a personality that they had even without the music that was is very magnetic and captivating. Yeah. And seeing that imagery yeah. of them well, in their kind of prime. They're very loose limbed. Very loose limbed. Very <laughs> very supple young men. Yeah, they, they move around <laughs> with, with, with effortlessly. Great, they glide. Yeah, they glide through the through the studios at Abbey Road and I admire that because increasingly Andy, my joints I don't know about your joints, but my joints are very strained. When I get up in the mm. night for a wee, it's like, you know, I have to stand up out of my bed in about, like, yeah. 20 separate small movements. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like Godzilla whenever, getting whenever out of the I, sea. <laughs> whenever I get up from recording an episode with you, the position that I'm sat in, my right knee always clicks whenever I get up at the <laughs> yeah. end. So I do, I'm just prepared for that now every time. So, when I, so, so as a result of that, when I look Beatles. at loose-limbed people <clears throat> in their youth... Um, I like, I admire it. I I envy it, and it brings me it brings me joy. <laughs> and that ultimately is what the Beatles' greatest strength was. Although I saw him being yeah. interviewed by the successful and renowned podcaster Bob Mortimer, and yeah. one of the things he came out with to him was the thing about us was we were really good. <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was a great thing. He goes, and he goes, I can say that now. He goes, at the time we didn't want to sound arrogant, but now enough times yeah. passed that I can say one of the yeah. reasons the Beatles were really <laughs> successful is that we were a really good band. 
Yes, I mean, other people have said that, Paul, yeah. <laughs> I still haven't watched all that yet. I don't know where that full interview is going to appear, if, if indeed it is, because I don't know whether Bob actually got around asking any questions, because he just seemed to be... He sat there looking spellbound, which I thought was wonderful, yeah. actually. It's the best reaction, yeah, well, completely. you know, and I also thought it's quite interesting, because Bob will have been interviewed a lot over the years, mm. and therefore, when the tables are turned, you have to interview, you'll have learned a lot about do's and don'ts in interviews from the experience the, of being interviewed. The craft interviewed. of interviewing, yeah. You, yeah, you have. I don't mean it necessarily automatically makes you a good interviewer, but I was looking at Bob and I was thinking, he's probably been interviewed by lots of people who are fans, right? I mean, I mm. interviewed Bob for the cover of my magazine when I was about fucking 24, and to be honest, I probably just talked to him a lot. Do you know what I mean? Because I was so excited yeah, to yeah. be there with him. And yeah. so, but he just thought, fuck this, he's Paul McCartney. I'm not going to bring fuck all to this. I'm just going to sit there and fucking listen to his amazing stories. And, you know, yeah, generally speaking, that is the best policy. Totally. So, yeah, I don't know when but that's going to appear in full. I wish that you could have, that Bob could have taken you. And then, you know, even mm. if it was just as, like, you could have masqueraded as his assistant or something. Just in, in, uh, in a similar to the Julian Fellows interview. Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, it, no, yeah, but Paul would have understood, would have managed to have spoken, at least established a sign language with you. Probably, yeah. There's some kind of northern connection there, very tenuous. Like tapping but, yeah. on his chest, two fingers on his chest and then two on his eyes <laughs> yeah. and then pointing at you. And you would have nodded yeah. and beat your chest. <laughs> And, and Paul would have said, oh, see, see, yeah. see, he's happy now. See, I, I knew that. When he came in, I thought a lot of people would be intimidated, but I found some common ground with him. And look, I've made him happy. Look how happy he is. Go on, give him a treat, Bob. You just you just got to give him a little bit of attention. You know? <laughs> yeah. Just try and get down on their level if you can. And, and, and the important thing is, is to re- reward them when they behave well. Yeah. So I, I carry these, yeah. I carry a, a packet of peanuts around with me in case I meet people like this. <laughs> There you go. Look, he's got a peanut now. He'll be happy. Well, we can I take... keep a peanut in that, ho- in that hole in me, Willy. I'm, I'm... I just squeeze it out. <laughs> we used to do that in Liverpool. We used to call them Willy Nuts. No, me and George used to do it when we were at school because the teachers wouldn't allow you to have nuts in the school, so we'd hide them in our willies. We called them Willy Nuts. Our good friend, the Liverpool writer Willy Russell, his first name's actually Gordon. But the thing was, he used to keep their peanuts in his willy. That's how he got the nickname. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember when Elvis invited us to Graceland and we said, do you want a peanut? And he went, you know, Elvis loved his food. And he'd go, oh, yeah, oh. give me one of the peanuts right now. Why don't you eat where you keep your peanuts? Do my security guards check you on the way in? Because uh, one of my kids has got a peanut allergy, so I don't allow peanuts in Graceland. And, and then Ringo said, oh, well, I did. Uh, security didn't spot these ones. And he got out his todger and he just popped four or five... Uh, Peanuts onto the table, onto onto Elvis's ivory table that he had, <laughs> and said, "Get stuck into that lot, lah." God, uh, son. Elvis God, was King quite pleased because he said, "It's my wife who doesn't allow peanuts in. I think she's overprotective of my child." Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, crave peanuts. <laughs> oh, and we just <sighs> we had a little peanut party there. And we said to him, that's what we used to do in Liverpool all the time with our peanut parties, and Elvis loved them. And we also introduced Dylan to them. Like, he introduced us to pot, and we introduced him to peanuts. To peanuts that we kept in our willies. I think, I think um, we need to have more Elvis content. <laughs> 
in this podcast. I think we should probably do a history box about the time Elvis met Richard Nixon. Yeah. <laughs> and also, what list. about Elvis's sandwich, Fool's Gold? You know, yeah. that massive sandwich that he used to get? He was obsessed with it. Have you ever read about yeah. that? Is that the one with the fried banana in? Yeah, it had everything in it. It had the lot. There was a documentary about it. Yeah. My, my, well, I told my nephew about this, right? He's now like in his mid-twenties. But when he was younger, when he was a teenager, I sat him down <clears> like <throat> any great uncle does. And I said, listen. Yeah. Now, I'm sitting you down now. I need to tell you. <laughs> sit down there. No, not there. There. Yeah, that's there. it. Right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Now, listen up, cunt. I'm going to tell you now about Elvis's Fool's Gold sandwiches that he had that basically were so delicious that he ate that he ate himself to death on them. <laughs> he killed himself. It, here is, I'll look up the Wikipedia page and I'm going to fucking tell you what was in it. So I've, because I knew my, my nephew, like all good nephews, loved a good mm. sandwich. Who doesn't, mate? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I read this out to him, told him all about it, and he was spellbound. And for his mm. next birthday, which I think was like his 16th or 17th, his dad, who is a QPR terrace legend, Castellani, yes. who, by the way, is not only a terrace legend, he is also a brilliant chef and cook. He's brilliant. Wow. Best cook in the family, yeah. right? Really good at it. And so he's gone to his son, what do you want for your fucking birthday meal? And he just mm. went, I want you to make me a fool's gold. And so he oh, did. That's what he asked. I think he asked for it as his main present. He asked for yeah. a fool's gold. But there's a great story about, like, he eats a fool's gold and then is Because he used to... There's a one place that made them back in Memphis. So even if they were in another part of the country, he'd send one of the Memphis Mafia on the private jet. The Elvis jet. Get on the Elvis jet. Get back to Memphis and give me one of them dang fool's golds. I'm Woo! feeling bad. Don't make me do my karate oh, on you. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> he fucking he comes back with two, and Elvis eats one, and you can almost see his heart fucking popping out of his chest, right? And he goes, "Hmm, <laughs> that was delicious. That was mighty fine. Now have me the other one, right?" And the guys who's got it goes. Because they think we've got a duty of care to Elvis now, partly because our fucking livelihoods depend on this cunt. Payroll, yeah. And he's gonna fucking yeah. he's he's gonna drop dead if he carries on like this. Clearly right? dying. So <laughs> so he goes. Uh, no, boss. I think I think that you you've had enough. And Elvis went, "What in the hell are you talking about? <laughs> oh, well, my second fool's going." No, no, no. Look, look, just wait till later. I'll stick it in the fridge. And then you can have it a bit later. Just wait for that one to go down. Which is true. I don't know about you, Andy, but I often have seconds before I've waited for my first to go down. No, not really, but okay. No, that's another thing that my <laughs> wife monitors quite closely. She's always saying that. She's going, just wait. Is it not, you just, I just, is it not part of the same meal? <laughs> no, no. But like, I'll gobble like a massive plate of food. And then as soon as I've had the yeah. last mouthful, I'll go, is there any more? And then I'll like scuttle up <laughs> to the cooker to see if there's yeah. some left in the pan. And serve yeah. a whole second helping of it. But I don't need the second helping. I've just got to wait for the first lot to go down and register. Because it doesn't well, register. You've got to wait 10 minutes, apparently. You've got to wait 10 minutes for it to register. Exactly, it? But, yeah. I, you know, Andy, I can't wait 10 minutes for anything. <coughs> right? Oh, I know that, Sam. Uh, so, anyway, Elvis, he must have been like me. Because the geezer turns his back and walks off. And it, this is like in, I can't remember what book it is. 
It was Paul Hawksby who told me this story. It's a great book by one of the members of the Memphis Mafia. And you can find this passage online. We'll find it and we'll do a deep dive. Because as he walked away from Elvis, I think, was sat behind his enormous desk. <laughs> I'll sit here behind my desk, catch up with some admin. Well, I have my sandwich, <laughs> right? Mm, I got some parts to pay. I gotta catch up with my VAT. Uh-huh. <laughs> my damn VAT return. They seem to come round quicker every quarter. <laughs> <laughs> and as, as the guy walks away, he heard he heard this. I said, give me that sandwich. And he heard click, and it was the cocking of a fucking gun. He said, that sounds like Whoa. a gun. He turns around, and fucking Elvis has pulled his revolver out of the top drawer of his desk, because all powerful American Shit. men keep a revolver in the top drawer of their desk, don't they? They do, yeah. And he's fucking cocked the hammer, and he's pointed it at his mate. This is his yeah. mate. Hand me that goddamn sandwich, boy. And the mate's gone, he believed, He said, I looked at him, I thought, <clears throat> I know that he will shoot me dead for this sandwich, so I had to give it to him. That that reminds me of the scene in Grinch Hill where Jackie gets hold of Zamo's heroin <laughs> and tries to chuck it down the toilet, <laughs> and Zamo's trying to scrabble it off the floor. Oh, yeah, when he scrabbled it. it off the floor. That was one of the <laughs> scariest things I've ever seen when I was that That's age. That's exactly the same thing, isn't it? I just it? thought, yeah. oh, my God. But Zamo, yeah, very much the UK's Elvis. The UK's Elvis was the of the eighties. Yeah, we need a new Elvis. We need to want to fill the void. We thought back then after Elvis died in seventy seven, along came Grinchell, and then a couple of years later there was Zamo. Yeah, the UK's Elvis. <laughs> Sam, it's been almost fifty minutes. I'm going to wrap it up. Great um, Elvis content, though. Yeah, plenty more Elvis content to come in twenty twenty two from Top Flight Time Machine, a football podcast. Um, and predictions for the weekend you got zero I got one results book got five so let's just not fucking dwell on that at all um, anything else you want to see you've got 20 seconds no good thanks very much for listening everyone goodbye be careful be careful